Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on Nashville Guitar Safari 2022. Last year, before LifeFest Music City in Tennessee, Owen and I went into Nashville and visited some guitar stores. We had such a great time that we brought our buddies Lloyd, Thomas, and Dave along with us this year. We visited Gruen's Guitars, Rumble Seat Music, Carter Vintage, Gibson Garage, and two different guitar centers. But was it as much fun as last year? Did we buy any gear? What were Lloyd's thoughts about the Gibson R9? Should you do a Murphy Lab? What year did the Gibson ABR-01 bridge start? Do two tailors of the same model and year sound alike? And YouTubers and rock stars, how do you act when you meet them in person? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Owen and Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. Owen, it is great to have you back here on the couch for some group therapy where we get to talk about our guitar safari in Nashville for 2022. Guitar safari was, it was pretty different. It was, it was, it was quite a bit different because last year it was the first time you had been to pretty much all of these places. And as far as me, there's a couple of places that I hadn't been before, but most of the places I hadn't been to in a long time. So it was kind of new for both of us. Yeah. And now here we are. We're going the second time. We're like, yeah, we were here a year ago. I mean, it was definitely different. There were a few places that had some renovations. Mm-hmm. There was a whole new different guitar store that we went to called Rumble Street. Yeah. And that was definitely a place that we needed to go. Yeah, that that was a really cool place. Now, what made this different was we brought Lloyd along with us. Yeah, we did. And we also brought Dave and Thomas, but they mostly just went to liquor stores and dropped us off at places. Yeah. So, which is fine. Yeah. That's what they're into. So, let's first start with where we started, which was Gruen's Guitars. Gruen's was it was a little different on the way it was organized, but it was a lot more fun this time because I was a little bit more experienced with guitar, I could play mm-hmm. a little bit better, and honestly, I was trusted a little bit more with yeah. some of the gear. You know, if there's one thing that I noticed, walking in, I felt more at home to grab stuff. Yes, I agree. First time I went, I was just kind of in awe of the place. And so I didn't grab a whole lot. It was just like, look and go, ooh, ah, ooh. And this time I walked in, looked at stuff and went, I want to play that. This time it was less of a historical monument even though it still was a historical monument yeah and more of a guitar store i mean there was just so much stuff that we loved and we had seen before but we hadn't actually played yeah like for example the paisley jazz master the paisley jazz master was amazing yeah that was pretty awesome it was kind of light wasn't it for a jazz master well it's a custom shop that's true. So it, it had better woods. It had a little bit of a, a different carve on that neck. Plus, it was just, it had so much mojo to it. It had a lot of uh, finesse to it. Yeah. It was very not fancy, but not normal. It was just different. Yeah. And it, it really was a cool guitar. And had it not been $4,000, I think we might have a paisley jazz master yeah that that's definitely a cool one now of all of this of all the guitars that i saw the one that i touched and played that i loved the most was actually at that store yeah wasn't it the red 333 no it was it was red it was a gibson it was a 330 it was a 330 And so it had P90s, and it actually had a Tremlo on it, even though 
I don't remember those having those. I thought they had a different tailpiece, but who knows? But it was a 63 and it was amazing because I picked it up and I started playing it and it was something I had never played before in my life. Yeah, same. I mean, it was so light. Yeah, it's just something about it. And I wouldn't say it resonated or it was just this stellar sounding guitar, but the mojo, like when I touch it felt right. It felt like me playing something I'd never played before. That guitar had a song in it and it wanted to be written with my hands. Oh yeah, it was like for you Star Wars lovers out there, it was like a lightsaber. It was like your lightsaber. You had it, you felt it, and you <laughs> knew that it needed to be used. Just when you thought that this podcast couldn't be any more geeky. Yeah. In- enter then my 14. 14- enter my 14-year-old cork sniffer. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. And so what's so amazing about, you know, that guitar was, you know, you might be like, Dr. T, did you buy it? Well, it was $6,000. So no. Yeah. I mean, R9, 330. Yeah. An actual 60s versus something that is meant to be like something from the 50s. Yeah. No, no. So there was other things that were cool, too. Um, we went around, we played the McPherson. The McPherson carbon fiber guitar. I saw him last year, but I didn't really play him until we got to Corner Music. And it felt like very similar, but at the same time, it was still just something that you were in awe of. Because, like, it's a carbon fiber guitar. Like... It's so weird. Yeah, it it doesn't have a truss rod. It has a big neck, but yet as you're feeling the thing, like the back of it's plastic. Yeah, and it's kind of like that sandpaper feel a little bit. Yeah, but yet it sounded so good. It resonated really well, like shockingly well. Yeah. And then after we left that area, we went over to where they had like the the Gibsons and stuff. And that was actually really fun, too, because they had a couple of examples of 70s Gibsons. And they also had an R9 and they had an R8. Yeah, and that was the first time that I really felt like I could play something and it'd actually be worthwhile. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes when you play something and you're like, Like last year when I was still young, I was still learning guitar. And this year when I know actual like riffs, I know all that stuff. Now I actually felt like I could judge the guitar. Yeah. So I got to play a couple of different Les Pauls and I got to see what kind of Les Paul was kind of my style. Yeah. And I would say that one 70s custom, like it was kind of light. It was the right neck shape. It looked pretty cool because it had double binding, which is not something that you see regularly on a Les Paul. It was definitely a nice one. Now, there was one downside, and I don't know if he just wasn't there or not, but Brian. Brian. Last year, we raved about Brian. Brian remembered our names. That was pretty awesome. And this year, Brian wasn't working that day, or he doesn't work there anymore. I was so excited to walk in the door and have Brian be like, remember our names. I know it was kind of like a fantasy that wasn't going to happen. It's a long shot. But that would have been super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to know what we're talking about, once again, go listen to a podcast from a year ago when we did our guitar safari and, and you'll hear about that. Now we left there. We got done at Gruen's, took some pictures, did all that stuff. And we went to Rumble Seat Music. Yeah, and that was a place that we didn't go last year because it's not very exciting from the outside. But once you walk in, it's so cool. Yeah, it has all sorts of amazingness. And from the outside, it really looks like a pot dispensary place. Like like you you go buy marijuana or something. Yeah, but when you walk inside, there's a lot of memorabilia there. Oh my gosh. There's uh, so many interesting guitars like the first guitar when you walk in is right above you on your right it's like a shower tile stained glass telecaster yeah just 
interesting. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And then, you know, you look around and there's the the 55 gold top Les Paul, which had an ABR one bridge, which kind of threw me for a loop because I was like, didn't that happen in 56? But, you know, but that was in there. Uh, They had a replica of Clapton's Cream SG, which is the one that had like the naked lady on it. Yeah, the colorful one. Yeah, that was that was definitely experience. They had those full stack marshals, like an orange one and a purple one and all that. Oh, yeah. That was cool. And then they had a room just filled with like vintage Fender basses and amplifiers. It was it was a stellar place to go to. Like I would highly recommend it for anybody going in. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you have so many experiences with old guitars like yep. Lloyd did. Oh yeah. It it was it was pretty fun. And then on top of it, right when we walk in, sure enough, I see Tyler Larson and Tomo Fujita doing a little impromptu YouTube video. And, you know, I'm a fan. He kind of saw them and immediately started, like, freaking out, but internally freaking out. Yeah, Not, he, like, being super open about it. Yeah, keeping it cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then we left there, okay? And actually, maybe I'll have a little conversation with, with Lloyd about that because he has a little bit of insight to some of the stuff, too. Um, we'll, we'll do that on the second half. I'll tell you what, we'll talk with you the first half and then we'll talk to Lloyd on the second half of this and it'll just be kind of like two perspectives of the same little, little tour. Yeah, for sure. So now when we left there, we headed to Guitar Center. Now, part of the reason why we went to Guitar Center is because it happened to be around a restaurant that we liked last year. And that yeah. restaurant was... Hugh Babies. Hugh Babies. Yeah. Hugh Babies is a la carte, buy what you want eat what you want and it's not crazy expensive it's just good yeah i mean i kind of went back this year going like oh what if it isn't actually that good and it was just like initial shock but nope it was still pretty amazing yeah it really was so we went over to guitar center first though yep and Guitar Center's still not dead. It's still not dead. It was actually really fun. The whole reason why we went is because Lloyd had to play this St. James amplifier. Oh, yeah. The Black Star? Yeah. And man, I'm going to let Lloyd tell you about that. Yeah. That's definitely a Lloyd story. Yeah. But the one thing about this Guitar Center that was so amazing is you walk into like their platinum room and it was an entire wall. Of custom shop Les Pauls, R4s, R8s, R7s, R9s, ROs. I mean, it was so cool. Plus the private stock PRSs. The private stock PRSs were beautiful. And, and then there's custom shop fenders as well. Don't get me wrong, but man, it was just so cool. There was a lot of stuff there that was just like interesting. Yeah, it's what a guitar center should be. Honestly. It is. So then we left there, and the next place we went to was Carter Vintage. Carter Vintage, it was different than last year. I mean, it was sad to see it, but the Sweet Home Alabama guitar wasn't there. Yeah, I'm wondering if it got put away or if it got sold. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting guitar to get sold. You know, everything's got a price. Yeah, everything does have a price. And you got to be able to make rent. Yeah, that's true. So who knows? Who knows what they ended up doing with that? But that was definitely like a little bit of a downer going, oh, it's not there. I was hoping to get like a annual picture with it, but. Yeah. Well, and then another little bit of, I'm going to call it a downer, even though I shouldn't. But last year I found the Mandola. The Mandola sounded very good. And if you want to hear even more about that. We talked about it quite a bit last year. Yeah, and it did. It just, it was everything, and it's been in my head ever since. And I went, man, I should have bought that $1,400 Mandola. And I went, but at the time, I was like, I'm not going to use a $1,400 Mandola. Yeah. There's no way. And it's haunted me a little bit ever since. And I went, you know what? This year, if I find it and it sounds every bit as awesome and it's exactly what I want, I can probably beg for forgiveness. Put it on a credit card, make it happen. Yep. And I went, and the cheapest Mandola they had was $3,000. Yeah, they 
appreciated quite a bit in the past year. Which makes me cry a little bit more. Because it was really not just an asset. It became an investment piece. Yeah, seriously. And so uh, I ended up playing some other ones, playing the $3,000 one, playing some different things. And they still sound every bit as cool. But at $3,000, I definitely don't want it. Yeah, no, especially not since mom wasn't there. I don't even know that I could justify it if mom was there. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. But there were other cool stuff, too. Uh, There were some Gibson acoustics that sounded really cool. Uh, They had some R9s that were there, and uh, they had a a number of different, like, Gretsch guitars. They had a 12-string Rickenbacker 360. That's true. That was something that you kind of like fanboyed a little bit about. And it was, it sounded great. And they had a bunch of cool little amplifiers. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of seating around. Yeah. So I fit, it felt a little bit harder to like pick up the firebird off the wall and like see how it plays. Yeah. Because there was like two benches, but those were always full. Yeah. Speaking of Firebird, they had one there, and I don't remember the last time that I played a Firebird, but I've wanted a Firebird. Like, I've desperately wanted a Firebird, and then I remember when I was looking, I was like, I'm going to get one of the more modern-styled Gibsons that were still considered vintage, and it was Explorer or Firebird. And I wanted a Firebird, but I found a deal on an Explorer, so I bought it. Yep. And I just played a Firebird for the first time since buying the Explorer. And I immediately went, thank goodness, I bought an Explorer. Yeah, the Explorer sounds really good. And it and plays don't get easy. me wrong, the Firebird sounds good, but not nearly as good as the Explorer. Oh, yeah, for sure. At least for what I play. Yes, of course. So as we were there, there was a time where all of a sudden you said, Dad, you got to see this. You got to see this. And you took me to this area where there was like four Les Pauls and a bunch of amplifiers sitting out, and it was behind a roped-off area. Oh, yeah. So basically, where I'm assuming there was a stage at one point, Mm -hmm. because it was an elevated surface, there was a bunch of old like tweed amps and four generations of gold-top Les Pauls. Yeah. And they were so cool. Yeah. If you follow the Tweed Couch Instagram page, he posted it up there. It was just so amazing to see that. And I remember standing there with you and I I pointed at it, like all of it. And I said, yeah, that's that's over a half a million dollars worth of gear. Oh, yeah, at least. And you were like, what? And And it was crazy because it was right after... We just got done in the acoustic room, and we were looking at one of the cases that had, like, three mandolins in it. Yeah, there was a wall. It wasn't more than eight feet. And there was just one case with two mandolins in it. One of them was, it was on a discount for yeah. $120,000. Yeah, it was 175000 Yeah, it was one hundred seventy-five. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a bargain. It's yeah, a deal. Yeah, seriously. I mean, we already have a mandolin, so. Oh, I yeah. Mean, You're right. I need yeah. a mandola. Yeah. And the one next to it was also at a discount for 75000 Yeah, yeah. These are all steals, right? Yeah, steals. Like, yeah. They're a whole $40,000 off. So after I take out my third mortgage on the house, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But yeah, so it was a really cool place. Like we went through on the back little area. There was also another little roped off area that I broke the rules and I grabbed a guitar off of it. And they had some early 60s Gibsons, like like an SG, which wasn't considered an SG at that time. It was considered a Les Paul. That's exactly right. I guess that you remember. blew my mind. So proud. Yeah, it, it was amazing. And it's like, I pick it up and I start playing it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is a 62 SG. And then I paused for a second. And I said, actually, Owen, this is not an SG. And I said, yeah, it's a Les Paul. That's right. Because on the headstock, it had that spot on the truss rod cover that said Les, Les Paul. Paul. And you were like... Oh, yeah, because it's a Les Paul. And then it was almost like you were trying to put two and two together. It was like you, you were in disbelief. You're like, that's not a Les Paul. But at the same time, you're like, that is a Les Paul. And just, yeah. I mean, it was 
an innovative piece of history. Yeah, it was. And it was so very cool. So then we left there. And when we left there, we went to our last place, which was Gibson Garage. Gibson Garage. It fails to disappoint. Yeah, it is a fantastic place to go to. Like the conveyor belt or the, as I like to call it, the dry cleaning belt of of guitars was super cool and the big gibson sign and we went into murphy lab area and we kind of like put together a guitar that we would buy but we didn't buy you know like just talking about different finishes yeah all that went into epiphone look at their stuff which actually was pretty impressive too yeah i mean epiphone keeping up their game yep kramer area we uh went and Looked at some of the other stuff, went to the acoustic room. But there was one thing that was a big downer there. And that was the price of some of the merchandise. Yeah, seriously. I mean, there were some shirts that you could find on Amazon for like $15, but they were $30. Yeah, it was like twice as much. There was one sweatshirt that there's, you have a similar one that you got for maybe $35, $40, so pretty pretty cheap for a sweatshirt, and it was $150. Yeah, so I have a Gibson sweatshirt that was embroidered, and I mean, it's beautiful, and actually, that one was about $55. Yeah. So it it was pretty expensive, but it's all embroidered and everything. Yeah. This was a silk-screened sweatshirt with a flying V on it, and it was like 60 bucks. Yeah, and then there was another one where it was just... A cotton sweatshirt. It probably had some sort of warming thing in it. And all it had was a Gibson logo on it. And it said $150. Yeah. And it was just, it blew my mind that a sweatshirt could cost that much. It was unfortunate. You know, these people that that want to have a Gibson guitar and, and really just fork out the money for these Gibson guitars. You know, cut them a break on some memorabilia. It's a free billboard. Yeah, of course. I mean, I went into that store thinking that I want a shirt or a sweatshirt that I can wear to school and I can, like, just show off a little bit of guitar, like, yeah, know-how. So mm-hmm. I walked in and the shirts that I saw that I really liked, they were, like, Thirty dollars, and I didn't have that kind of budget for right. that type of shirt. So I mean, now I'm using your uh, your shirt because it's a little small for a large. But. Well, one of the things that I said was, you know, I can chip in some money, and you were like, no, it's not worth that. Yeah, it was like either way, it doesn't matter if I only spent fifteen dollars yeah, or twenty dollars was... on it. It's the principle of the matter. I'm not spending thirty dollars on a silkscreen shirt. And and I admire that. And so because of that, I decided, well, I have a shirt that fits tight on me. That's a Gibson shirt that Lynn actually gave to me because she found it at a thrift store for three dollars. Which is a steal, by the way, because there it was thirty dollars. And uh, I was like, you know what, man? (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I can you can just have mine. It's fine. It's no big deal. I've got my sweatshirt still, and, you know, I've got all the guitars, so that's Maybe fine. Maybe we need to go to more thrift stores. Evidently, in Nashville, because she actually found it in Nashville, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, with all that said, I guess that probably brings us to a close with you and me talking about the Guitar Safari. So, do you have a final thought on your Guitar Safari before we switch over to Lloyd? Uh, I loved being there. I loved seeing Nashville again. I loved Hugh Babies. Oh, yeah. And I loved being able to see how guitar stores are holding up. But I think that last year was better. Um, yeah, I think the experience was better. You know, the first time you go, there is this like nostalgia, this factor of like, here I am. Oh, my gosh, I'm at this place. This is amazing. I think that next year we should have two goals in mind. Goal yep. number one is we should be very intentional with this is a guitar run and that's all we're doing. And we are going to try and hit as many places as we can that make sense and we're going to have a great time. That's goal number one. Goal number two, I want to get behind the curtains at Gibson Garage 
and I want to see the vault because that's where they have real 59 Les Paul, 58 Explorer, 58 Flying V, all these different things. And it's a special thing. They only allow certain people to do it. So I either need to get really big doing the tweed couch or we got to catch the manager at the right time. You hear that, guys? Blow us up. Blow us up. All right. With all that said, we're going to take a word from our sponsors, and then we are going to switch over to Lloyd and his experience on this guitar safari. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Who doesn't love a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In 2023, they will have festivals in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Banagua, Tennessee, and Naples, Florida. I'll see you there. Since 2003, the Kretzman Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzman started a production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at KretzmanGuitars.com. Okay, Lloyd, so it is now time to get your side of the Nashville Guitar Safari. I did one with my 13-year-old cork sniffer, and now... 14-year-old cork sniffer, and that that's what we just heard. And so now it's time to talk with you because we had a fun time. It wasn't just me and Owen. It was you, me, and Owen. It was super fun. So yep. thanks for going on the guitar safari with me, by the way. Yeah, your 32-year-old's cork sniffer. Yeah, my 32-year-old. Mm-hmm. 32. That's 32. <laughs> Plus 20. Okay, so, all right, so, Lloyd, I'm so glad that I was able to go to this with you because Owen saw it last year, and I feel like Owen had a little bit of a lackluster because he saw it last year. But you, Mm. you haven't been to these places in quite a while. And it reminds me that 20-some years ago, you took this little 19-year-old kid Mm -hmm. on tour. And this tour was a little brutal, and someday yes, maybe we'll talk about that tour. Which is why we brought you along, because we knew it was going to be brutal. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Um, <laughs> but we went on this tour, and our second to last stop was Nashville. We did the Nashville District Gathering for Lutherans, LCMS event. And when we were there, we had a couple of days, and we went to Gruen's Guitar Shop. And that's actually where we started this guitar safari. What do you remember about the original Gruen's guitar shop? I remember being underwhelmed. I was expecting it's Gruen's, you know, heard about Gruen's. Yep. I remember walking in there and just thinking, this is cool, but this is it. This is where so many top Nashville players get their gear is from here, you know? Yep. That's really all I remember. I remember the floor. I remember the floor a little bit, you know, not being anything. Um, it was kind of creaky and yeah. and worn, you know. And I love those kind of places. So don't get me wrong. I, I thought it had a cool vibe to it. But I, I guess I was expecting something a little bit more like uh, uh, walking into Willie's in, in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. That just, just a little more organized, you know. And this, yeah. and I, it, it wasn't. I remember... Number one, walking in to Gruen's and the creaky floors and just guitars splattered on the wall. Yeah. Like there was no rhyme or reason. No. Martins and Tellies, they were together. Yeah. Now, what was your impression walking in to Gruen's now that they have a new place which that they've had really for the last like probably six, seven years? Really cool mural on the outside of the building. 
and yeah, when you walk in, there's yeah. like uh, a double set of doors with a uh, a little entryway first, so that you don't let the outside air directly into the inside, which the original building didn't have. With some cool little history on the walls about Gruens it is your first introductory into Gruens. And then you walk into Gruens, and yeah. And now it's it's all organized. You got your Fenders over here, your Gibsons, the, your your acoustic areas. Yeah, it was, it, and it just, and it was pretty long. And just, oh man, the the amount of quality instruments is what I would what I would expect, you know. And yeah. all the places we went were like that. I didn't play as many instruments as I wish I had. I kind of, yeah. I knew we only had a limited amount of time and the people around, but. My second time going back to all these stores, that's what I would like to do a little more is actually play a few more. Yeah, we will definitely have to do this next year. For sure. 100%. We will have to do this again. Uh, Assuming you're actually going to come back to Life Fest next year because I I realize how rough it is. Like, it's it's rough. (laughs) It's rough. But when I walked in the door this time, I spent more time playing guitar which I didn't last time. Last time, it was more of the nostalgia of being in the room. That's what happened to me. Yeah. I, I ended up playing the guitars more. I picked up guitars right away and started looking at them and just really enjoying the space. And one of the things I was really shocked with was I went to the back area and I played a 912 CE. And then I put it down and I picked up another 912 CE. And they sounded completely different now these are taylor guitars for anybody that doesn't know and it was while we were playing a little game and the game was which guitar is lloyd gonna buy and you had already been to this wall you went to the wall you played a guitar and you went that's the guitar i would go home with if i bought one right now and i played a bunch of different guitars but i played two different 912s and they were night and day different night and day it was quite surprising i wouldn't wouldn't have expected that yeah i'm not that different that's what i love about acoustic guitars you can't really say in top of the line guitars all the different woods you know there's there's some talk in the electric guitar made it was like you know talk about tone wood doesn't really make that big a difference in electric guitars but in acoustic guitars it does make a difference you know Cedar tops, spruce tops, mahogany sides, rosewood sides, and they all sound great. I mean, I I pick up so many guitars and I go, oh man, this is this one is more, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, more woody sounding or doesn't have quite the low end or the Chris highs. It's more, it's got a mid range to it. And usually the mahoganies are a lot like that for me, where the rosewoods have a deeper deeper sound, which the nine yep. which the nine series you played did. So yep. the one that I picked up actually had a spruce top with a mahogany sides on it, which is like my tailor. And maybe that's partially why I was like, oh, this was like, this had it all. It had yeah. that sound that I really enjoy, but but it was the colors of it too, the look of it, everything. The wood was so gorgeous on it. So it wasn't just the sound. I probably actually liked the sound of the ones you were playing better than that one, but it was the whole package. That was what I was right. like. This guitar just spoke to me, and I was like, I would happily adopt you yeah it it was amazing because i remember going and like playing the different guitars and i've never played two acoustic guitars that were the exact same series the exact same year that sounded so different yeah they did and it was amazing yeah now there was another thing that happened at gruen's that was kind of interesting that was the first time you picked up the r9 yeah. Well, you know, when I when I came there, the two things that I wanted to check out, one was the new Blackstar amp. I wanted to find it, the St. James yep. EL34 version. There is a 6L6 that I feel like I should play too, just to be fair. But sure. I played the l 3rd but we may get into that. Oh, we um, will. But I wanted to play a um, – I bought – you know, we'll call it a 2020 because it's late December. We'll just call it 2020. A new Gibson Standard. But I have the the slimmer 60s neck on it. But I really wanted to play the 50s neck version just to see if I'm like, eh, maybe I should have gotten the 50s because I don't mind anymore. I, I used to not like the 50s neck as much. 
I don't mind it as much as I used to. Yeah. And some of the clips that I've heard, because they also have the burst buckers on it, whereas in the one that I have has the burst bucker 61s that are supposed to be a little bit more higher output, little yep. brighter. Um, for like the 60s era where they, everybody was wanting more gain, you know, or rock and roll was everybody was wanting a little bit more gain, so it made the pickups just a little bit hotter. They're still not hot pickups. But anyway, the R9... I've never played one actually ever because you know they're all every store I go to they're always like way up high and locked up they're locked up and it's like <laughs> yeah. you need to ask to get it down and so I admire them from afar but I'm like I'm not going to buy that guitar so right. I've never played one I was really curious you know it's like the standards aren't cheap they're like 2700 you know brand oh, new yeah. so the R9s are over twice that yeah. But, you know, they're still really expensive guitars, both of them. And so I'm like, okay, I understand the custom shop. I understand all that. What really is the difference? And it's almost hard to put words into the difference of those guitars. It was it was almost like, I don't know, an aura about it. It wasn't just because I knew it was an R9. The body, the neck, the feel, the weight, you know, everything about it, I was like, oh, this is different than my really expensive guitar that I play at home. Yeah. That's a standard. So what's interesting about that one that you played, and I remember because I, I gave you the R9, and I also gave you a couple of different 70s Gibsons. And when you played that R9, you were like, ooh, well, that feels good. And yeah. it was one of those things that like, okay, so on the YouTube channel, I put out my whole thing that was like, here's the R9 unboxing. And you get people who are like, ah, you overspent, whatever. And then I did the R9 eight months later. And I, I put that thing out. And then you get this guy who, like, you know, posts something up and says something like, oh, I'll take my Epiphone any day. And it's like, okay, sure. You know, and, and so you get all these people that say these things and you start to go, well, I spent a lot of money on this guitar and I feel a difference. Am I crazy? And in that moment, when you played the R9, you went, you're not crazy. It's different. Yeah, it really is. And you, you talk about the elasticity of uh, bending the strings Oh yeah, on yours. And there, there is. I noticed that my guitar is stiffer. The strings are stiffer than playing that one. It did play with a lot more. You could bend the strings. When I say elasticity, that's what I mean. Yeah, they're slinkier just in general. And I'm not sure what that all is. Mine plays great. <laughs> I, I'm going to try to figure it out. But but yeah, it was a whole different beast. But the other thing that I that I that I loved about it is it's got the '50s neck on it. Yeah, and yet, but it but it's not a '50s neck. It's not though. That's the thing yeah. is that well, I was don't like, go too soon because we did go okay. to Gibson Garage. All right. So we yes. will get to that. So let's go ahead and move to the next place then. So we did Gruens. Gruens was great. I loved Gruens. And then we went to the next store. And the next store was Rumble Seat Music. Yeah. And we walk in the door. And right when we walk in the door, all of a sudden, <laughs> I get really close to you like a fanboy. I mean, yeah. it was like a little girl at a Justin Bieber concert. Like, all of a sudden I go, just real secretive yeah. going, that's Taylor Larson. And you were like, I know. So the whole thing is, is basically while we were in Rumble Street Music, Tyler Larson was in the other room. And he's the guy from Music Is When. He has like 1.6 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. And he was there with Tomo Fujita, who has like 450,000 people on his YouTube channel. And they were doing this like impromptu video. And and I was just yeah. like, oh, he's in there. Let's look at the whole place because I'm definitely going to interrupt and say hello. But I'm going to do it at the best time possible. And it was so fun when we finally did find that best time possible. And we stood in and we said hi, and they were both very gracious. And we got to watch them do a little bit of the actual taping of it. So I'm so looking forward to going on YouTube and watching that video with and knowing that we were right behind them when they were doing that. We walk in there and we're hanging out for a good like 5, 10, 15 minutes 
just kind of watching it and doing other things. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Tomo forgot to actually plug in the guitar. He was talking about how to do things in like C. Like, here's how you do like a good like C major, like pentatonic or whatever, whatever he was doing. And all of a sudden he went, oh, I forgot to plug it in. And that's when he stopped record. And that's when I went, that's my window. Yeah. Right there. And I introduced myself and really both of them were very gracious. Now, granted, we took like 20 seconds of their time. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the key. You actually taught me that key, by the way. The key to making sure that you're slightly memorable, but at the same time, you're not that crazy fan person, is you cut off the conversation. Yeah, that's right. You know, so it was yep. like, hi. And he was like, what's your name? Where are you from? I answered him and then I said, yeah, I, I got to go. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you were like, it's great it's like, to meet you. We, you were you were like, of your 1.6 million uh, followers, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm like 1,532,000 or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said, I'm one of your 1.6 million. That's what I <laughs> And he was like, oh, yeah. well, thanks for, thanks for helping out. And then I saw Tomo and I was like, and I'm one of your however many you have. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, which yeah. is quite a bit. But yeah. It didn't matter. And then we just said, said well, it's, it, was, it was really great meeting you. And we walked out. Yeah, we walked out. And then they shut the door behind us. And then they continued filming. <laughs> <laughs> but the cool thing about Rumble was that Rumble Street had a number of vintage guitars that were just like holy grail. Because yeah. one of the things that was really cool was I saw a 1956 Les Paul, and it had P90s, but it also had a ABR1 bridge. And I went, oh, that's a 56. And then we look at the tag, and the tag says 55. And I went, "Yeah, hold on. 55 yeah. does not have an ABR1 bridge. And we were really confused because we were like, "Yeah, no, ABR one happened in '56," and they're like, "No, this is a '55." It's like, mm. yeah, I figured it was. I was like, "Surely they don't have it," because I always assume that I'm wrong. You know, that's oh, my yeah. default function. And so um, I just like, well, it doesn't. It seems like a small thing to everybody else, but it really, to me, it was like kind of like a world world exploding moment where I'm like. For years, I've had this lined up that 1956 is when Gibson really got it right. After three years of trying to get the Les Paul right and changing things, they came up with that, and that's when it, it launched them. And then in 57, yeah. they, they came up with the PAFs, and, you know, and then they ended up doing, you know, they were all gold tops, and then they switched to doing the sunburst and the gold tops, yep. and which is why 59 is, is the year, because they just, they just kept putting all this stuff together. So... We go to the guy who is running the shop over there and ask him about this. And he said, yeah, it's a very late model 55. And so yeah. maybe like a December 55. So it's it's like early, early, early ABR1 bridge, that model. You know, I was kind of stuck on this and a later store that we'll mention in a moment because um, from a previous podcast, I've mentioned about the 1956 gold top that the gentleman played in my church that is still sitting yeah. in a closet with his widow yeah. that I've been working with her over the years, just making sure, you know, she knows, taking care of it. Also, what to do with this? Because she's she's in her 80s, too, now. Yeah. You know, and so what's going to happen with the guitar? We're working on all that. But. All over the years, when when Roger first asked me about this guitar, because he didn't know, I know we talked about it earlier, but maybe not everybody listened to it. In a nutshell, he bought this guitar used in 1957. In the case, it has the original receipt of what he paid for that guitar in 1957. He paid 150 bucks for this 1956 yeah. gold top, and it's the only electric guitar he has ever owned. And so yep. years later, when he was in his 70s, he asked me, he, he had no idea what it was worth at this point, because he paid, he, it was just his guitar that he paid 150 bucks for. At that time, it was worth about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000. Yep. And I often wonder if I, I probably could have bought it off of him for like 10 grand at that point, if we really, if he was really serious. But I didn't have ten grand, you know, no. you know, at that time either. So, anyway, 
But so now I'm looking at this 1955. It's the same guitar that's sitting in this closet. And now it has a price tag on it of $70,000. <laughs> Seven zero. Zero, and I'm like, oh my zero, gosh! Zero. <laughs> I'm like, I, like I know where what, and this one, this one is the. It's got the no touchy glass, you know, in front of it. You know, you weren't oh, just yeah. picking this one off the wall. You want to play that guitar? You got to ask. Oh yeah. And so that's my memory of that place. That and the podcast, the live and, podcast happening. Oh my gosh! Yes, and it, it was it was so cool. And there were there was a number of other cool things there too. Like they had some. Some Marshall full stacks. Yes. Oh, and I forgot about them. In red. They had some, Jason, uh, some... Jason, they were in red, Jason. That's true. You need this Marshall full stack. Red, Jason. And they had a fawn, and they had a purple. So there was lots of cool things, and they had some, like, uh, some Rickenbackers. Rumble Street, when you look at it from the outside, it looks like a pot dispensary place like it looks like you can buy weed there but no you walk in the door and it is a gold mine of amazing so yeah. everybody should know it was that. great yeah the shop owner he was great too so then we left we decided to get some food at hugh baby's and then oh, that was good we also went to guitar center and the whole reason why we went to guitar center was because they had, as you mentioned before, the Black Star St. Vincent. Uh, no, St. James. Sorry, St. James. You're right. The St. Vincent is the uh, the Ernie Ball guitar. Okay. So the St. James. James guitar. <laughs> amplifier. Amp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This thing was at Guitar Center, and we played it, and I have to say... Without a shadow of a doubt, this amplifier sounded terrible. That amp sounded terrible. I'm not terrible. willing to write off the whole line yet because I am. so many people are raving about, and I'm a Black Star fan, you know that. I own two of them. Yeah, you do. And not the HT series that everybody plays. I own the Artist series and the Series 1 head that are. And they're amazing. Absolutely they are. amazing. Um, I wouldn't own them if I didn't enjoy them. So I was interested in this because I told you it's a 50-watt combo that only weighs like seven pounds. It's oh, like yeah. super light and a special design speaker that's supposed to be more like a vintage 30. Yep. But the big thing is the output transformer. They did a new technology. It's actually part of what people are talking about. They're like, Blackstar has a, a new patented technology on this that may really change a lot about amplifiers. And so it's really light. You can play it in Europe at at uh, um, you know, or at 220, or you can play it in Americans with at 120. It doesn't need a power regulator. You can plug it into either. It's it's yeah. really cool. It's really cool, and it's also got built-in IRs in it that sound really good from what I've heard from clips. So you can just plug in it. You can bring it and just plug a uh, a mic cord into the back of it and go. You don't even have to mic it up. And so, and it's got a switch on the back with three different IRs, but you can also you use their software and you can open up your laptop and you can, you can change all that mic angle, the type of mics, all that, but it comes preset with three anyway. So I was really interested in this two channel amp because the clips that I've heard really sound good and people are raving about this thing, which is why I was really shocked. So I asked the guy goes, well, what guitar do you want to play? And you said he wants a Les Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he went over and got a a new Gibson Standard, just like I have, that are really great, the new guitars, with, uh, with the 60s neck. So it's the same guitar I play, except you held this sucker. This I don't know. This thing might have been 14 pounds. I couldn't believe how heavy it was. It was definitely thing, a bone anchor. Like, it oh my was gosh. so heavy. It was heavier yeah. than the amp. That is key. <laughs> Three times the weight of the amp. Oh, so, yeah. So it started out bad right there. I, I didn't, where the amp was sitting, I, I didn't have a strap. The guitar weighed so much. If I sat down on the chair, I was right in front of the speaker, which is never where you want to be playing a guitar amp. No. And so I'd kind of stand up and try to hold this boat anchor on my lap, and it didn't. And then Clean Channel was nice. It sounded like a nice, like, like a nice fender fine. amp. It was fine. Yeah. 
when we flip over to the the second channel and i was just i was i was blown away at how lifeless it sounded i was like yeah. and so you started you started tweaking on it while i was playing and i and then you finally just gave up and said i don't need to hear here i don't need to hear anymore yeah. i was like yeah and, i'm good i'm good yeah yeah so i don't know i apologize to everybody who's listening to this who go you don't know what you're talking about those amps are fantastic um i need to give it another go with a different guitar and and hope that it's maybe that amp was just flawed Maybe there was something wrong with that amp. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe because you and I, I actually, it put me in a real funk yeah, <laughs> for a while did. there. I was like, I need to clean my musical palette because I was so distraught. I wanted to play this amp so badly, and it sounded so uninspiring. I I, I just couldn't shake it. This I, is to how the point- bad you wanted to play it. You actually called ahead of time. Yeah. To find out all the places that were Black Star dealers where you might be able to find it. Then yeah, when they opened, right. you called the places to find out if they had one. Mm-hmm. This is how big of a deal this was to you. Yeah, and sure right. enough, it was a huge letdown. Yeah, and so much so where I, while we were sitting and eating, I was like, was was it me? Was it play? Was was I making this amp sound like crap? Was it my playing? Was it you know? No. That's where I went. Because remember, as I said earlier, I always assume it's me. Yeah, <laughs> it really was one of those things that it was just like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. So what, what makes it nice was you got a little bit of a palate cleanse, some Hue babies, and yes. then we went to Carter Vintage. Yeah, and Carter Vintage. Is enough to fix anybody's musical palate. Yeah. Because that place was amazing. Yeah, that was fun. Yep. So there was a guy in there playing, playing. I just heard some tones were really great. And I looked, and there was a little glass through the window. And so I could hear the tones coming out. And I noticed I hadn't seen one of these matchless. They're huge. They're, they're the size of your laptop. But it's a really cool matchless pedal that came out years and years ago that they don't make anymore. And so I went in there and we both played it a while and he tweaked a little bit. And that was a lot of fun. They had a Reason Bambino amp in there that I used to own that I uh, hadn't played in a while. And so I was like, oh, you got to check this amp out. And so we were doing it. it, it was, that was a lot of fun. And then there was also another 1956 Gold Top Les Paul yeah. sitting behind a rope. And that one had a price tag of 75000 <laughs> and i'm like oh my gosh i gotta talk to uh arlo and see yeah. where that guitar is now that's right because you could have owned it for 10 grand and now it's worth 75 but you know what tanya brought up a really good point once about that we didn't have ten thousand dollars to spend on the guitar at that point but it really doesn't matter that it's worth seventy thousand because i would never sell it so the only person who's the only person who's ever going to benefit from that value is probably my nephew. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? He he's going to be the one who's going to sell it and buy a hundred thousand dollar house because right. I would I would never sell it. And so the value of it really is meaningless. You know, at that point, because right. I'd never be able to sell it. Okay, so this brings up an interesting point that I've told my wife for a number of years. Everything that I own is an asset. And that is something that could be sold to generate money. And I love that it's an asset, but it's really only worth more if you sell it. Yeah, that's right. So it's not an investment. It's an asset. If I say it's an investment, then I have to sell it at some point. But if I say it's an asset... Is something that's worth something potentially. Yes. And I've told my wife, if anything ever happens to me, and if she wants to sell anything, she needs to contact you to make sure (laughs) she knows what the value of these things are. As she should. Yep. Okay, so we're at Carter Vintage. They have a number of great stuff. I thought I might leave with a mandola that day. Unfortunately, I did not find one that, like, spoke to me. So I went, eh whatever but while we were going through all the things once again we found an r9 and you played the r9 and you went 
does your play like this? Does it, yeah. Like, is this normal? I and know. I played it and I went, yeah, this is the way mine plays. And you're like, gosh, it's completely different. <laughs> yeah. I, I really did fall in love with the R9s. I, they had a few, they had a few on the wall there. It was just great. You could just pull them off. Like I said, I, most of the places that I've ever been, they're always way up high with a, with a locking mechanism on them. These, I like, I asked the first guy and he's like, oh sure, here, just <laughs> handed it down. And so I was trading there. He had like three of them lined up there and I pulled all three of them off and I didn't leave there going, my gear sucks. I need to buy one of these. But I yeah. did leave really, really appreciating these guitars more than than I thought I would. You know, yeah. I was like, they can't be they can't be that much better. And and better isn't really right the word right word because I'm playing my, like I said my Les Paul. Both of my Les Pauls are, are worth around you know twenty five hundred three grand. They're really nice guitars. Oh yeah, they play great. I wouldn't have them if they didn't. Yeah, um, but there is correct. a difference. And so I I really just you guys were off doing stuff and I just couldn't. Just I didn't even plug the guitar in. I was just sitting there playing it, going, "Man, these guitars!" I was looking for a flaw. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "These are great guitars." Now this probably brings us to the last place we went to, which the last place we went to was Gibson Garage. Tell me about your experience walking in to Gibson Garage for the very first time. Okay, so this this is my naivete. Owen was was really geeked about going back to that's the one he really wanted to go back to. And you put it last. Now I know why. But I was like Gibson Garage. I I just was like, oh, it's another just another music. I had no idea going in that no, this is the Gibson Guitar Factory's store. I had no yeah. idea. And so we walk in there and it there's a room probably a thousand square feet is the main room when you walk in and there's other rooms off of that main room and all the way around the, the ceilings are probably 20 feet high. And there is a mechanism, a chain mechanism that is slowly churning all the way around the ceiling of the room. Remember thousand square feet and hanging from that chain right next to each other around the entire room are Gibson Les Pauls. And they're yeah. all in. They're they're all sorted, you know. So here's a bunch of gold tops. Here's a bunch of you know different sunbursts, whatever. Blacks and heritage yeah. cherry and yeah. And and this is this is the moment where I started to get woozy, and you grabbed me, and held me upright, because I was like <laughs> about ready to pass out because I was just like this is just sensory overload of awesomeness that was coming into my brain. And yeah. I, just, I couldn't believe it. And I'm just, I just stood there for a while and just looked. But the coolest room in the whole place was the room to the right, which was called what? It's the Murphy Lab Room. Yes, the Murphy Lab Room. You took me in there, and there was a guy in the Murphy Lab Room. Um, what, why don't you explain Murphy Lab? So I've been there before, and there was not a guy in there before. But I've seen enough videos to know that if there's a guy in the room, they'll walk you through stuff. And we were in there, and sure enough, there's a guy sitting there. And I immediately went, can you uh, run through to this guy right here? What kind of finishes can you get? And he opens up a drawer, (laughs) shows all the finishes. And I was like, what kind of neck carves can you get? And yeah. he shows all the neck carves. And I say, well, can you run through just like if we wanted to make a custom guitar right now, what would it all entail? And he went through every drawer, every piece of hardware, all the different maple tops and like things. And he says, yeah, you can you could totally do this. You could make your guitar yeah. right now. Yeah. And so what was cool is so he pulls out the drawer with the tops. Now, the tops are, you know, Les Pauls have a maple top that's glued on to a mahogany Yep. The rest of the body, the main thickness of the body is mahogany. And it's got a thin maple top that's that's glued down on top of it. So this was just the thin maple top in this drawer. And all different kinds of bursts that were in this. Yep. Bursts that I didn't even know about. Didn't even, I never hear about it. And I'm like, what is that one? And he's like throwing out all these names. And again, yeah. that's when I got woozy, woozy again. 
And thankfully <laughs> there was a bench in front of me. But here was the, what was really cool to me is that behind us, up high, is just um, really nice uh, flamed maple tops that are just the boards. They're just just two pieces of wood that are glued together that aren't made into a top yet. They will be made into a top. When you decide that you want to have a Murphy Lab custom make you a custom Les Paul and you go in there and you point up to, there were probably, I don't know, 16, 20, I don't know, that were up high. And, 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 you know, and you look at them, they're all cuts of wood. And so you have some that are like really tight grained, tiger maple, some wider grained, and they were all different. And you say, I want that one. And then he will pull that one down. He will write your name on the back of it along with your order. And they will make that exact top into your guitar. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. Oh yeah. It was incredibly cool. And, you know, that guy did a good job of taking his time, explaining everything that went through it. And then we walked out of there and we walked into Epiphone. Because the Epiphone had, like, a a whole little booth area and we looked through their stuff. And then I sent you (laughs) to the place that is home. Tell them why it's home. So the Epiphone, you know, I mentioned the big Gibson area. It was like 1,000 square feet. The Murphy Lab is just a little offset room. The Epiphone's pretty large. It's got a lot of Epiphones in there. And right off of the Epiphone room is this small little room that can fit like maybe four people in there. And it's the Kramer room. Yeah. I had no idea that Gibson owned Kramer now. No idea. And I didn't know that there was really still being made because... I don't go into Guitar Center and see new Kramers hanging on the wall. Yeah. But they apparently still make some. But it's home to me because my very first real expensive guitar was a Kramer. And I still have it. Yeah. It's got the Floyd Rose. It's actually, we've talked about that in a previous podcast too, that Pat Baker from from Dean's Guitars. And he actually made a comment once we were playing. He's like, you know, this guitar is actually really well made. And it is. The action, there's no buzz. It's... It's a great guitar if you if you want that sort of thing. But yeah, so so not only am I a Gibson guy, I have a Kramer from was my first real guitar that I toured with in the early days. There's Kramers in there. I'm like this is this is home for me. This is this is my world. Yeah, and and it was really cool, and it was a great place to go to and like see some of those things and see your face when you're looking at some of these things, going, oh my gosh, I have one of these. Like this yeah. is really cool. And then we go over to play some 50s and 60s next. Yeah, because my two of my objectives, one was I wanted to find that Black Star amp. And the other one was, as I said, I wanted to find my guitar, um, my new new Les Paul standard that comes in a 60s or a 50s. I've always liked the 60s neck because of my smaller hands. And I've just kind of wondered, as as I said, the 50s necks don't bother me as much anymore. And now we played a few R9s, and I love the neck on the R9s. So I was like, it was perfect timing in that. And I was like, I want to play the new standard with the 50s neck. And I want to plug the yep. sucker in, hear the burst buckers. And so we went over and plugged in the Mesa Boogie amp. They've got everything with headphones. You couldn't hear what I was hearing. And the guitar sounded great. No problem there. But that 50s neck is not the 50s neck you have on, on your R9. <laughs> no. No. Actually... My 60s neck actually feels a lot more like your R9 than that 50s neck did. Your R9 is somewhere in between the two. And I didn't like the 50s neck on that standard. I was like, this feels like what I don't really like. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to find out. I wanted to see if I was like, "Eh, maybe I need to sell my standard while it's still in mint condition and pick up a 50s. But no, I'm good. Honestly, I remember last year going in and touching a 50s neck and going, man, this is really good. Like, I really like this. And this year, I touched the 50s neck and I went, no. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. And I touched the 60s and I went, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um. So, then after we left that area, we went over to the acoustic area and it was mm-hmm. fine. You know, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Acoustics. Isn't that crazy? I never, I never, I don't pay any attention to Gibson acoustics. Never have. They make some good stuff. So 
My question to you, which is similar to the question I had for Owen, is was this a worthwhile guitar trip? Yeah, absolutely. We'll spend all our days in guitar shops. Yeah. And some pawn shops, too. Not all day, but we'll at least go in there and see if True. there's something. But like I said, I want to go back. We looked for a time, well, when we went down to Bonagua, we looked for a little chunk of time, maybe on Wednesday, that maybe you and I, with a smaller group, we could just, just the three of us could run down there again. And uh, it didn't happen. I was really hoping it would. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to go back. And I'm, in a, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other stores that we could go to yeah. that would be fun to hit next time. This means that I need to ask you this question. Are you coming to Bonagua next year? Yeah, I'll be there. Okay, then in that case, will you come a day early and go on another guitar safari? I'll let you talk to my bride, make sure that she's okay with it for a second year in a row. But I think so. We'd be fine. In that case, we will make this happen. And you, me, and my 15-year-old cork sniffer, we will go and we will have a wonderful time. We'll hit at least two more shops that we didn't hit this year. Nice. Two two other guitar centers? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> possibly some guy named Tito in the back of his van. But either way, mm. we will make this happen and it'll be amazing. So I look forward to it. Yeah, thanks for the tour. It was really worth it. It was great. Yeah. All right. All right. Later. Well, that concludes our time with the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit like and subscribe. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.